Hi, I'm Russ Camarda, an actor and independent filmmaker in New York. And in between the chances I get to do my own creative projects, I love to sit down with other artists and discuss how it is they do what they do. And that's sort of the, the goal for this podcast, the ACT podcast, Art, Craft, Truth. This time around, our conversation brings us to Jackie the Joke Man Martling. Now, you probably know him best as a writer and an in-studio comedian personality on The Howard Stern Show for many years. But Jackie's also a stand-up comic, an author, an actor, a radio and TV personality. And with a long and storied career, he's got fantastic tales to tell. Welcome to Jackie the Joke Man Martling. Some language or subject matter may be inappropriate or sensitive for some viewers and listeners. This is me in podcast hell. Russ and Ed, and I'm about to tell them a horrible story. Not yet, Mr. Martin. Well, I will start with saying that everything reminds me of a joke, and I just went in to use your bathroom, and I haven't thought of this in 60 years, but you have a sliding door. Yes, right. On your bathroom, and it went through my mind. Oh, your mother's like a sliding door, no knobs. <laughs> I was like, where'd that come from? And I love doing these because people say, "Yeah, thank you so much for doing my podcast or doing my show." And it's like you're talking to a ham, and you're asking him to talk about himself. Right, right. You know, I remember the first time I did a golf outing. I could never do them when I was on the Stern Show, but all of a sudden I had all this free time, and they have you come to a golf outing and they pick you up in a limo and you play golf with celebrities and then they give you steak and lobster and you tell a few jokes and then they drop you off and say thank you i'm like that's a good you're gig thanking me you know <laughs> yeah, like right. uh, who do you know right. rather than go through we'll, we'll go we'll hit some of the some of the highlights and stuff but i want to talk about the, the whole point of the show is i have no idea how you guys do what you do like that's a totally alien comedian i don't even understand that that's a courage i don't even understand so that's what i want to get into well, you is... know it's it's like asking a doctor how how are you a doctor like a gynecologist and a foot doctor and a kid doctor and a psychiatrist they're all as different as anything can be and comedy is different than acting and what i do is different than comedy but the whole, the, the whole basis of what you do and what I do, what we all do, the whole idea of standing in a room and looking the other way. Yeah. You're looking that way and they're looking at you. <laughs> right, you know? right. It's, a, it's, a, it's dealing with people that are facing the other way. And I, I'm always amazed when you read about General Patton, or maybe not him so much, but a lot of generals, and they say that they would walk into battle and walk in the oncoming fire right. sooner than stand in front of and address 100 people <laughs> right. because it's so terrifying, yeah. which is like, I guess when we're hams, I, yeah, that's such an ugly word, but unfortunately, it really, it really fills yeah, the pill. Yeah, it is, and it's, there's also some kind of adrenaline thing we get out of it. There's a... It's, and it's, you know, <clears throat> I started going to a therapist a long time. My wife and I were, my ex-wife and I were in the course of breaking up. We didn't know what to do, and... I wasn't happy, and I was like, I'm going to go to a therapist because I want to find out why me saying something to you or saying something to a thousand people and making them laugh, why does that make me feel good? Right. So I went to her for two years, and we never did address that problem. <laughs> I don't know what it is, and I don't know 
I don't think it's the same as an actor because like an actor likes to get laughs, but they also like to get appreciated and like you could, I guess, do a whole play and never make anybody laugh and still it, it's right. wonderful. It's you know. a different thing altogether. It's uh, it's more about, um, I think for a lot of us, it's more about getting to something, which has got to be the same with comedy, getting to something truthful where you like... Making a connection. A connection right. and they feel it. They, You know they felt that. Right, you know? right. Um, laughs are funny, you know, especially now. Yeah. With the COVID <laughs> right. and, and nobody's doing anything. I've been doing these cameo.com things and it's like my methadone. Like I do a minute or two, three minutes of jokes <laughs> your fix. and it's, you know, <clears throat> I'm just making myself laugh right? and I'm talking to people and then you get good reviews and it feels great. Uh, you know, but if I go into a delicatessen and I make the guy behind the counter laugh a couple times, right. that feels as good to me as, as doing well on stage. It's, it's just something. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's innate, but I don't know. God, it's so hard to put. It's it's like well, it's like trying to nail down mercury. Well, you let's know? let's uh, let's let's dig in a little bit. First, let's start with uh, let's go back. I'll be your therapist today. Let's go back. So you're a Long Island guy, right? You grew you, you were born and raised here, or born no? and, born and raised in uh, East Norwich, which is just south of Oyster Bay. Did and they, they always live in Bayville on Long Island Sound, which is just north of Oyster. Did they Bay. always call that East Norwich, or did they change that name? It was always East Norwich. It, it was Norwich until 1850, <laughs> right. and then they uh, realized there was a Norwich. Oh, right. In northern New York. It always sounds like it's somewhere else other than Long Island. No, that, it's it's funny. It's <laughs> yeah. funny, but it had to be East Norwich when they started right. assigning postal addresses. So you you grew up. You went to school here. Did you? Uh, um, when you were a kid, uh, this is the cliche question, but were you the were you the comedian in the class, or were you? <laughs> you know, it's funny because when I started doing comedy, that's of course, were you the class clown? Sure. And initially, I would say, kind of say no, because in my twisted comedy mind, who who am I? To bestow that honor upon myself, the right. class clown. That's, That's right. you know. Somebody else's. And then, meanwhile, my eighth grade class picture is the cover of my first comedy LP, <laughs> and I'm sitting there giving the finger. And I said, you know, wait a minute, maybe, maybe by default I was the class clown. That's right. But um, I know in third grade, uh, the principal called me out of class, and. It's a little scary. I went to a very small elementary school right down the street from my house. And it was a brand new school that had just been built. And the school I originally went to, kindergarten through second, was the same school my father went to. I mean, you know, it's a yeah, small sure. town. Right, right. And the principal called me out of, out of class in third grade. And I'm like, what, what's going on? And she said, Jackie, I'd like you to be in a school play, you know. So I was in a play called A Bird's Christmas Carol, which was the story of A Christmas Carol, I think the birds was the name of the family. What I, all I know is there was a girl in eighth grade named Becky Brown who was tall and blonde oh, and beautiful. This is how it always with starts. long, long blonde hair. <laughs> and I had to walk across the stage holding her hand. And That's all the guys in seventh and eighth grade were like, wow, man, you get the whole Becky Brown's hand. And I'm like in third grade going, what does that mean? You know. But what, what the things that come back to you are so funny. Uh, I didn't realize this, but when you back time and people ask you enough questions, yeah, you know, sure. instead of going, I don't know, I don't know, you know, when did you forget your first joke, all that mm. stuff. I, I distinctly remember my first dirty joke here. <laughs> but I was in, in Cub Scouts, 
Were you ever a Cub Scout? I was not, no. Okay. Well, I was in Cub Scouts, and in Cub Scouts, they had a thing called the Blue and Gold Dinner. Okay. And once a year, the Cub Scout pack went to a semi-fancy restaurant. Right. The Cub Scout and his father, which was must have been real uncom really <laughs> sure. comfortable for the guys that didn't have a father. But in those right. days, everybody had a father. Right. Nobody was divorced. <clears throat> and you'd go to Blue and Gold Dinner with your father... And they gave out some whatever kind of awards, but it was just like a bonding thing. And I was in fifth or sixth grade, and Mr. Bott was the guy who was kind of in charge. He wasn't the scoutmaster, wasn't the cub master, but he was one of those guys that helped out a lot because sure. two of his kids were cub scouts. And he said, I'd like you to be the MC of the, oh, of the blue and gold dinner. I actually went home and asked my mother, what's, what's MC? You know, <laughs> she thought it's master ceremonies. And it's so funny. You know how things stick with you, okay? Yeah, right. I, I had to be the, the MC of this thing, and I had to stand at a podium. Right. I was so little. I grew like six, <laughs> six or seven inches between seventh and eighth grade. I was tiny and actually had to stand on a box <laughs> right. behind the podium to this day, if I walk up behind a podium, I'm like, the how box? great is this? I don't have to stand <laughs> right. in a box. And I'm not exaggerating. It's like, it's still up there. So nobody said, be funny, be stupid. You got to basically go up there and say, we will now salute the flag. Right, that right. was my job. Right. But I get the idea like, I, I don't know what, what the actual thought process was, but it, it must have been along the lines of, Here's a chance to break balls, okay? <laughs> and there was a a magazine called Boys Life that every Boy Scout and Cub yes, Scout you right. automatically got it in the mail if you were signed up as either of those things. And there was a page in every issue called Think and Grin, which were very, very bad, very clean, silly pun type jokes. And I don't know whether I don't think I was looking. I think I was reading the jokes, and it hit me. I said. I could make this joke about Mr. Bot. Okay. <laughs> so I actually took a joke and switched it like a comedy writer. Oh, so you like, like a comedy writer. And I took this joke. Not only that, it was a little, the tiniest bit off color. It was kind of a dick joke. And I went up and, and I got up on my box and said, you know, I missed, I was talking to Mr. Bot, and he told me he had a dream last night. <laughs> that he was skydiving and he jumped out of the plane and pulled the ripcord and when he got out of bed this morning his pajamas fell down <laughs> <laughs> and it got a big laugh nobody had asked me to do that right. i didn't clear it with anybody right, right. and I'm, i realized i did my first roast as a cub i was Scout. gonna say yeah you, you, you had a friar's uh, roast at the cub Scout, which there. is so crazy that's fucking know. phenomenal that's so th that's inexplicable who knows where that comes from at the you age know, of the, whatever. The, my mother was very funny. And, uh, you know, I recently bought a book that used to be lying around the house that I remembered so clearly that when I got it in the mail about a month ago, I remembered exactly the little Willie rhymes that were very dirty, <laughs> not dirty, but very nasty sure. off color. Willie setting fire to his sister and stuff <laughs> oh, like Jesus that. Christ. And uh, it was pretty interesting. And she was not dirty, but she was like, she was really witty and right. really smart. And 
but that was your mother. So that's the, that's right. all you know. You right. don't know that that's not everybody's mother. Right, right. You know, like if I if my zipper was down, <laughs> she would point and she'd go, Ever ready, Eddie? <laughs> Which is very that's, funny. It but is. that was, not from that your was mother. what my mother says, <laughs> right. you know. And once when I was a little kid, like once in a while, you know, you know how you could catch a little kid with the same joke? Yes. Over and over, sure. you know. And once again, am I two years old? Am I seven years old? I don't know. But I'd be like, Mom, where are my shoes? And she would say, do you know Helen Hunt? I'd say, no. And she'd say, well, go to Helen Hunt for him. But this is my, my mother right. talking to her seven-year-old. This is long right. before there was an actress named Helen Hunt. Right, exactly, and when I right. told Howard Stern that, he was like, your mother said that? I'm like, yeah, you know, she was funny. You wow, know, like, that's... so maybe... Once again, maybe that instilled this whole thing in right. me, but it was so ubiquitous. Right. I mean, does a fish know it's in water? Yeah. You no, know what I mean? I was exactly. surrounded by, you know, everybody in my family is funnier than me. You know, well, they're that's... all just really, I'm the, I'm the little pig that, <laughs> you know, that built the uh, house out of bricks because right. I worked hard. Right. Know? Well, that's it. And that's a theme that's come up a lot with all these different artists I talked to is it's all, talent's one thing, but there's a tenacity that you have to have. Right. A, Right, right. It's if you, a, if you, you don't know, have that, it's forget it. It's useless. You know, Edison said, you know, one uh, percent inspiration, ninety nine percent perspiration. That's it. You know, yeah. it's like a, it's all crazy. So and, when when you as you grow up, right now now you're you're getting into high school, you're getting into a young adult man. Are you now? Are you? Is this starting to come out where it's? <clears throat> no. What what happened was, uh, in summer of eighth grade, I think we were playing soccer or whatever, and a guy that I knew since kindergarten, who's still my best friend, right. sixty-seven years later. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Um, I realized I must have seen him playing guitar or something, and I said, "You play guitar?" And he goes, "Yeah." I said, "Well, that's really cool." And it's really funny because <clears throat> he went to Sunday school, and a girl in his Sunday school class, a cute girl in his Sunday school class, said. Wow, Ricky Nelson's so cool. He plays the guitar. <laughs> so this guy, Chris Bates, went out and got a guitar and started taking lessons. Never saw the girl again. She right. never came back to Sunday school again. <laughs> so, But now he's stuck playing the guitar. Right. And he says, listen, I could teach you four chords and we could have a band. Oh, wow. And he was talking about C, A minor, F, G, a typical right. dun, 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 teenager in love, sure. et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yep. One, four, five, one, six minor, mm. four, five, however. So I'm like, wow, I'm in, you know, we can meet girls. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like it's, it, it, you know, By the way, Billy that's... Joel said 99% of guys start doing music so they meet, can meet girls the, and the other 1% are lying. That's right. You know? By the way, that's another theme. Actor, it doesn't matter what art you're in. That's usually what the girl across the way is what usually It's the hairy carrot. <laughs> that's no the question hairy about carrot it. at the end of the stick. <laughs> so, um, so we start playing and... We had a band in high school. We we were playing instrumentals, and then one day I said, "We got to sing." He uh -huh. said, "We can't sing." I said, "Yeah, but we have to, or else this band makes no sense." So the next thing we're doing oldies, but to us oldies were teenager in love, sure. run around Sue, tossing and turning. They were only three or four years old, but they were from way way back in the fifties. Right. You know, it's like sixty two. Right. So we had a band for over two years before the Beatles hit. Wow. I mean, you know, right. like who are these new guys? Right. You know, the guys used to jibe me. At, I worked at Pipe and Rock Club as a, as a busboy. <laughs> and of course, the British guys were like, oh, the Beatles, you, they can't even get on the plane. It's so crowded, Jackie. How's your band? You know, I'm like, <laughs> fuck off. You know? So, uh, and then the Beatles hit, and we loved and them. And we actually, right. 
there were people that didn't like us because we played too much Beatles. Okay. Because they were too bouncy, the music, right, and right, it wasn't right, like, right. hold on, I'm coming, and, <laughs> right, and, right. and knock on wood. And but we used to, I used to tell jokes. But we both did. So part, part, of, songs. part of the set, part of the act was, Well, you know, it wasn't really, it, it wasn't like, I'll, we'll do this and then we'll tell jokes. Right. It was like, we'd play a song and then the wild hair, like, look, all those people facing the wrong way. Right. Maybe right. it's time to, you know. Right. And of course they tell a joke and they were like, what is he doing? <laughs> and then, of course, when I got to college, I, we had a, a full-blown rock and roll band, you know, wow. Give Me Shelter and, and, and Smoke on the Water. And in between songs, I'm telling jokes. And people say, oh, the other guy's like, no, the other guys hated it. Right, They're like, right. what are you doing? But, uh, you know, that was right. that was the animal in there. What did you What did you go to college for? What was you studying? I was a mechanical engineer. Mechanical engineer, why? What was the... I graduated from Michigan State University in 1971 after five years All as right. a mechanical engineer. My father had gone to Alabama University uh, for two years as a mechanical engineer. And I just innately knew... That if I didn't take a difficult major, I would get drunk and flunk out of college. So I purposely <laughs> took a really difficult really major. Hard. I was in advanced math and in high in, Did you in think... grammar school, and then no intention of ever. So you didn't think that's this is... no, no. <laughs> it was just know, to avoid getting drunk. <laughs> the last year of, uh, you know, it, after after four years, I was short a year because I had lost the term because I had to. Uh, drop out because I had to have my knee operated on after uh, a wild drunk <laughs> night and I got Jesus. my knee wrecked. And then uh, I had failed enough classes that that cost me a term over the course of time. <laughs> and then 1969, turn on, drop out. I had literally yeah. dropped out wow. because we all did. I was late 60s hippie. Right. But then in the summer of uh, 1969 or 70, whichever it was, I met a girl and fell in love. What else am I going to do? We went back. She had just graduated, right. but we went back from Cape Cod to, to East Lansing, Michigan, and I went another year and graduated college. And uh, But my last year of college, I'm, I'm in the engineering building with my dog and my ponytail, <laughs> and meanwhile, guys are cheating off my paper. You yeah, know, it was right. like storybook. Right. But yeah, this guy's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm interviewing with Ford, and I'm starting for 20 grand, and they give me a car, and oh, I'm, I'm with General Motors, and they're gonna, I'm like... Not me. You what know, were you going to do? We're taking mechanics and atomic physics and, you know. What were you going to do? Did you have any, were you I wasn't going to get a job. Were you still playing music? I, I stayed in the college town for an extra... The college town's a bubble. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's wonderful and pot and booze. <laughs> and right. My girlfriend and I broke up. And by the time I was... The last two years, I had moved out to Lansing because they had no money. And... But it just was such a storybook town, and it was just so much fun. So I spent seven years in this heavenly... It, wow. it's, it was Oz. Right. East Lansing was Oz. And then finally I had too many skeletons in the closet for my old girlfriend, <laughs> and one of my friends came and kidnapped me. Not kidnapped me, but he came, he came to pick me up so we could go to Denver, and he wound up staying six months wow. and getting drunk for there six months. Go. And then we went on to Denver. But um, <clears throat> it was so a fantastic. And then I went Denver. I worked construction for four oh. or five months, and I was like, "This doesn't work for me." Yeah. <laughs> and the guy who had taught me to play guitar in high school, right. and then we played summers between 
freshman and sophomore and sophomore and junior years. Right. We played on Long Island at some bars. Okay. And he was on his way to California, and he stopped in Denver, and he woke me up. He said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I can't play my guitar because I got calluses on my hand. I just started writing songs, and I can't play. He said, I'll meet you back in New York, and we'll have a band. And I said, well, listen, I've been writing songs. I want to do original songs, and I want to tell jokes. <laughs> and he said, okay. And we met back in Christmas of 1973, and we practiced and practiced and practiced till we had the Magic 13 songs. All right. And then we're auditioning, and we auditioned for like five places and got every job. And from 1974 to 1978, the Off Hour Rockers played all over Long Island, traveling in a bright yellow 1955 Cadillac oh, hearse. Sweet. A hearse. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the pictures. You can oh show my them. Oh, God. Like, <clears throat> we always had girls. We always had booze. We always had pot, and we never got stopped. That's... They must have looked at that car and said, <laughs> right. they wouldn't dare. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when we were in Denver, there was like uh, four guys that lived in Denver. And then me and my friend JR showed up from East Lansing. And then two other guys from Oyster Bay. We had eight guys from Oyster Bay, Long Island, right. living in a condo in Denver. And four of us were on the same construction form setting crew. And this poor 20-year-old foreman <laughs> from Colorado, four guys from Long Island, <laughs> right. you know, wise guy, ball breaking, oyster bag, drunks. Right. It was, you know, I, I, it, you know, it was a movie. It was, it was spectacular. And it was so much fun. So you playing music? Are you? Is it paying your bills? Or are you? Or are you working? Well, initially, we're living in my mother's basement. Okay. <clears throat> we were making some money, but when we were making money, we'd buy something to, you know. It was. It's it's just really you know I look back my father had lost his job and I have no idea how we I mean I don't know how they how the family existed let alone with us in the we're living in the basement yeah. and bringing girls home and I mean it it's just not a believable movie I hardly talk about it because you had to have been there yeah, right and then eventually we decide we got to get a place to live. <laughs> Gotta get out of the basement. So my partner goes and uh, goes to real estate and says, we want a house in Bayville on the water. And she's like, are you out of your mind? He says, well, listen. She says, you know, put us on the list. She said, there's no list for a house on the water in Bayville. He says, well, put us on the list. So she puts us on the list. Two weeks later, the woman calls. There were four girls from Queens that chipped in, were renting a home. Uh. On the water in Bayville, one of them's parents were in a terrible car crash. She couldn't stay. She had to go home and take care of the family. Without her rent, <clears throat> the other three couldn't swing it. Can we please get out of our lease? And the woman was like, well, like, do you guys... And we go to see this house. The three girls were there in bikinis. Uh, this is in the summer just, you know... of 1976. They're in bikinis. And they're walking around, they're going up the stairs in front of us in bikinis. And they're showing us around the house. <clears throat> a couple of weeks later when we moved in, we're like, oh, I didn't know there was a dining room. I didn't know there was a basement because we didn't you see never anything saw up the girl's ass. And we wound up in a house on the water, Jesus which Christ. is literally two houses away from where you live, from my home now. That's amazing. And the landlady lived in a, in the garage behind us in a, she was an old woman, right. Madam New, 
She lived above the garage. <laughs> Madame New. What was she, she dragging? You know, her, her last name was New. <laughs> oh, okay. N N U. We call her Madame New. Right. And she pretty quickly hated us. <laughs> right. And you know, and then one of the big parties, she came over and there's motorcycles on the lawn and she came in and she walked upstairs and they were smoking pot in one room and people were getting <laughs> laid in the other room. <clears throat> so she wanted us evicted. I had met three girls that lived around the corner and one of the girls was dating a law student who was interning. <clears throat> I, one thing I, you got to understand, <clears throat> I never make stuff up. No, it sounds I'm, like I'm I making it up as I go along. <laughs> this guy, uh, whatever his name was, La Larry maybe, he was interning at the marshal's office in Mineola. <laughs> so our, and they, the marshal would go around evicting people. Right. And he kept putting our eviction notice at the bottom of the pile. Oh my. We got an extra year and a half. Wow. At the place. <laughs> and and, and, and was in, it was just. So you have, uh, you got a little. Like a lot of the people I meet with this, you got a little angel on your shoulder. You know, I mean, I got I, I got one. I got an angel, and then it gets <laughs> popped off, and it climbs back up and gets right. on like the fly on Pence's head, right. and all something somebody knocks it off again, but it keeps climbing back up like a snail. Right. <clears throat> and then I was like, you know, someday <clears throat> I'm gonna find my way back. That band broke up, mm. and the craziness of it was one of the bars where we were working. I fell in love with a girl. Of course you did. Um, <laughs> we're working at that when we're living on the beach. And this girl was this beautiful school teacher. And so madly in love with her. And she really could have cared less about me. She she liked me and we fooled around and we right. had a great time. But like, don't get too close. Well, that's all they have to say. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, so the <laughs> guys, the guy the that owns, this guy owns two clubs we're playing at. Mm -hmm. And we're packing the place. This place on Thursday, this place on Saturday. You can't move in the place. He's making a fortune. And they're all worried I'm going to kill myself. So he says, all right, you know what? We're going to, we're going to make a record. And because uh, we used to play a song called The Pot Song. And we used to get five encores. The end of the song was, roll up the reefer. We'll have some illegal fun. And the crowd would go nuts. Right. So he says, uh, we'll, we'll make that into a, a record. And I said, I'll do it. But you got to let me do my love song that I wrote for this girl on the other side. They agreed. All right. And he said, all right, we're going to do it at Kevin's because Kevin played in a band called Savoy Truffle that packed his place on two different nights. Right. The place in Massapequa and the place in East Meadow. We go to work. Uh, we go to record the song at the studio. I get very close to these guys. They see I'm smart, talented. And they ask me to come work with them. Almost for free, I think $5 a day. So I'm working at the studio mm. and playing in the band. Eventually, I get thrown out of the band. <laughs> my songs, my jokes. This is one of the great show business stories of all times. The, the after the show, after the show, mm. after we get done playing one night, we're in the dressing room, the room where they keep the cases of beer. <laughs> right. And they said, Jackie uh, Bates, my best friend, who's still my best friend, says, Jackie, uh, me and Herbie are gonna leave the band and start our own band. And I said, Bates, listen, you don't have to be a mechanical engineer to know that if there's three guys in a band <laughs> right. and two of them leave to start their own band, that's kicking me out of the band. Right. Okay. But at the time, we were doing mostly my songs. I was telling 99% of the jokes. It really was my show. Sure. And I kind of knew it was coming. 
So then I started playing just by myself, playing the guitar right. and telling my jokes. But I had been kind of segueing. I had been playing by myself here and there while the band was still playing. And and I ran into some guys. I don't want to go to the whole right. thing. But I ran into guys that wound up going to Richard M. Dixon's. And the guys would come to my gigs. There was no place to get on stage on Long Island. Sure. Eddie Murphy, Bob Nelson, Rob Bartlett, they're coming and doing five minutes, ten minutes on my stage. This is the late 70s, mid-70s, late 70s? 1978. 78, right. And then that's right when the band broke up. And uh, meanwhile, I went to work at that recording studio. Mm. Kevin and Jeffrey were the two owners. Kevin was the guy that played in the band at the the same place as me. He is currently married to my sister. (laughs) <laughs> wow like i stick to people's feet like yeah, yeah, on their yeah, shoe, no you know? kidding yeah and then you know and then uh when the band broke up i didn't know what to do i just had i just knew every joke in the world because i got a good mind well that we're going to get into that too because that's the one remarkable thing about you more than anything anything else is is this little trap steel trap but you know the memory. whole thing about people say why why do you decide to be there was no intention ever of being any kind of a comedian, number one, I never thought it was an option. Like class clown, right? You know, are you? A, you don't get to be a comedian. Somebody anoints you right. to be a comedian. You know, as silly as it is, when I went to Michigan State, and uh, the, the second band I was in, the first band we was so horrible, but it was great fun. <laughs> right. But then we had an actual band band, right. and the drummer was this sweetheart guy Nick Petrovich he passed away not a good looking man <laughs> and overweight and we're talking and what do you do uh, well I, you know I took the cackle engine what do you do Nick he said what's your major he said radio and TV and I can remember how that hit me like wait a minute you don't you don't just get to choose to be in radio and television you know what I mean? That, right. that comes down through the ages or <laughs> right, your parents. Right. You, you don't say, you know what, I think, you know, I'm going to major in. I'll be a president of the United States. Right. It never dawned on me that it was a learned thing. Right. And you learn, you know, you, you, there's different jobs besides Johnny Carson. Somebody's right. got to run the camera. Somebody's got to book the show, you know, right. as obvious as it was. But that was a, one of those yeah, light bulb sure. moments like, wow, you know. But the idea of being a con- you know, like we listened to Robert Klein, right. you know, we listened to that album, and I remember listening to Shelley Berman when I was like seventh grade. Right. But for the most part, we bought the Red Fox album so oh. we could steal the jokes, and me and <laughs> me and Bates were told comedians do their jokes, the same jokes to a different audience every night. Right. We had the same audience week after week after right, week. So right. we had Change different jokes. jokes every week, wow, that which makes, is how I just amassed. That makes total sense. And I already knew every joke. In 1975, when you tell jokes, people know you tell jokes, everybody has a joke for you. Right. In 1975, we'd be playing at Neptune's and we'd take a break and somebody come up to me at the bar and say, well, I got a joke for you. And I would say, all right, I'll count down from 10. <laughs> By the time I get to one, if I don't know the joke, I'll buy you a beer. I never bought anybody a beer. Stumping the joke. I man. knew. <laughs> like if a guy told me a joke about an Indian and a cowboy walking along in the range, after two sentences, I realized, oh, this is the joke about the nun and the priest on the... Con- you know, <laughs> right. I saw the parallel. I just all... 19, in the mid-70s, I already knew 99% of the jokes. And that of like, of, they just kept coming and coming and amassing it. And I... 
I was up till all hours of the night, <clears throat> college, bars, drinking, partying, getting stoned. I listened and listened and listened. And the longer, the, the more the years went on, the more infrequent it was that I heard something I never heard before. Wow. But it was gold. Sure. And, you know, and there's so many jokes I remember, and I remember where I heard them, and I tell people, and, they, and they're, I should write a book just about how people would be flabbergasted because then you back time how that possibly happened. Yeah. Like, what is it when you do it with, with the COVID when you backtrack to yeah, see where it contact came from? Contact tracing. Con yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Contact see, tracing see where, where joke the came joke from. came from. Right. It's well, what's amazing to me, because I, I, when I saw you live the one time I finally got to see you, it was two hours of joke, 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 joke. And what, I'm, what I want to ask you about the craft of it, of, of how you do what you do is, I mean, there's all different kinds of comics. There's the guys, they do bits, and there's observational, the Seinfeld type guys, and the... Wh I always how, tell why people, you... I'm not a comedian, I'm a joke teller. Right. It's like, was Rodney a, a joke teller like that? <clears throat> he wasn't well, a bit guy, I love right? Rodney because he was punchline, punchline, punchline. Yeah, he was just... Right. But he wasn't telling old jokes. No. I tell old jokes. It, if you want to be a comedian, there's two things... The cardinal rules are there's two things you don't do. Okay. You don't tell old jokes <laughs> and you don't laugh at yourself. And that's all, that's all I you do. do is tell old jokes and laugh at myself. Right. But it works and it makes people feel good. And people are like, well, what do you... <clears throat> I'm like, I've never done anything in 40 years except stand in front of people and have a lot of people tell me that was the hardest I've ever laughed for an hour in my entire life. Well, you know what it is, Jackie? It's the pace. It's, it's that you can, it's they come right on top of and, right. and just give people just enough time. It's, you know, it's, it's just something I've always done. In the beginning, I started, do, you know, uh, doing lines and talking about my family. I had some jokes. Right. They were still joke jokes, but, you know, but lines that they were jokes about my family, but it wasn't like going on and on. It was like they, they you know. Yeah, they had a, a beginning, know, middle, and real tight. When I was a kid, my father used to pull me through the snow. I wish we had a sled, you know, that <laughs> kind of stuff. And But then I realized just the jokes. The people just liked the jokes, and I just did them. And they do stick, and... Is there a, is there a like, did you get better, obviously every craft as you do it longer, do you get better at the, the vibe of the audience, timing it, feeling the energy well, of the room, or you just rip through what you got to do? I, I do what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess it, depending on the size of the room, it's right. just, it's kind of innate at a certain point. You know it's going to take a certain amount of time in the theater for the it to get back there and sure. the laugh to get back. You know, it's so funny. The most blatant example is I went down to Zany's in Nashville. And I was doing pretty well at the time. And I did my show, and I didn't do that well. And I was like, wow, you know, I guess they didn't like me that much. And I don't know, the bartender or waitress, somebody said, Jackie, they can't keep up with you. <laughs> and I went up the next night and went noticeably slower. You had to slow it down for Tennessee. And did <laughs> half as many jokes. Wow. And killed them. That's incredible. And it wasn't. It wasn't that they weren't smart. It's it was just, just the pace. That's not the pace of you know. So that's, that's we've all seen people from the city that talk way, way, way too fast. Right. And we're Long Islanders. Like slow down. You right, know. Right. Talking but about the, playing the room, uh, you've played tiny, tiny. Have you played the big uh, arena type stuff? Like what's not the, arena? I mean, I, I did like the, the big... Westbury Music Fair okay. and the Celebrity Theater in Phoenix. Uh, what's it like playing those big ass rooms? What. 
Is it harder? Well, like Westbury is funny because Westbury That's in the is big, but the fir- to me, the important thing is having people close. Okay. And if if there's people close, you can play to them, and the rest of the crowd is just in on it. I don't like when there's a theater with this room this, for an orchestra pit, right. or there's an orchestra pit. I always tell them fill it in with seats, right. you know. But but you deal with it, you yeah. know. Um, and some places are better than others, and some audiences are better than others. But for the most part, it's it's pretty much the same, you know. Now, you, you said when you were a kid, you listened to uh, Red Fox and, and no, Robert- no, no, not until. Well, Not until well, the so, 70s when we started doing jokes, you know. Robert, but I mean, were, were the comedians that did the bit type stuff? What, did, what kind of stuff did you like? When I listened to, my mother used to really enjoy watching me watch Red Skelton. Okay, all right. Because Red Skelton Visual, yeah. got such a kick out of himself, and he, <laughs> he would did. tickle himself. He would laugh his ass off. The crazy And years that. later, 1979, I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So long ago, there was still a television in the comedy condo. And it was HBO, and it was either Red Skelton's 75th birthday or Red Skelton's 50 years in show. But he's an old, old guy. Mm. And he, stand, he comes out, and he's standing at the microphone and telling jokes and doing his act and laughing at himself. And the guys are like, Jesus Christ, Martling, that's you. And it was me. Right. You know, he's standing there, he's wiggling his arms and laughing, having the time of his life. Right. I mean, I don't mean to be flattering myself. I'm no but, Red Skelton, but it, but it was like the same. Right. You know, this guy's, you know, if, if they dropped a, a bubble around this guy, he'd still be having the time of his life. Right. And that's the, I guess you soaked it up as a kid. And then you find out later in life, here's the most relaxed guy who's having the time of his life. He would throw up. Mm. They would have to push him on stage because he wow. had such stage fright. Wow. Red Skelton. Did that? Well, did, you can't. You can't. You can't wrap your brain around that because no. nobody looked more relaxed. Does that? Did, did you ever have that kind of thing, or are you no. real comfortable always? You know, uh, very often people are like, oh, are you nervous before you go on? You're not nervous. You anticipate, and and it it, it gets worse because <clears throat> when people are paying a lot of money to see you, mm. you can't just go out and make them laugh. You you want to kill them, right? And and you always know that. A couple heckles, anything can happen. You know, anybody who says I'm to go out there and I'm going to do great, right. that's the kiss of death. Right. You know that. Yeah, you, know, you yeah, don't absolutely. Do that, no. You know, it's like, wow, well, who, who knows? You know, the building could collapse. But uh, so you anticipate. I, I don't think it's nervous. Right. It's it's a form of nervous, I guess. Right. Now but, you're um, now you're a li- you you're a live performer, and you now you're in late seventies into the eighties. You're a live performer. Are you writing too? Are you writing jokes, or are you just no, no? Okay. Uh, well, I. I wrote some, but for the most part, I just tell old jokes. Like in like in the beginning of my comedy career, I was like writing jokes that to fit me about my family or whatever. And then you wind up switching jokes. And <laughs> if you're a student of jokes, which I am, you wind up realizing that there's very little new. Right. You know, like it's just a play on a this, theme. It, I was very good uh, pen pals with this guy who was the joke collector of the ages. <laughs> who uh, was actually where I read my first version of The Aristocrats. And he was quoted <laughs> in the movie, and they talked about him in the movie. But meanwhile, I'd been friends with him and had known about The Aristocrats joke 20 years. Right. 20 years. For people who don't know, that's the dirtiest joke that every comedian has to take a shot at which at some is, point. Which is a little bit of, of horse crap right, right there. Right, of course. But still, it's a, it's a myth. of. of... But it was so funny because... 
this guy Gershon Legman, once again, you can't make this up. I was so voracious about finding new jokes, and it's and it gets harder and harder. Yeah, I would think so. For you, I'm it's going impossible. through, and I'm reading a magazine or whatever it was, and the back. Any 12 books, 99 cents. You know what I'm talking <laughs> right, about? Yeah. And I see this thing, rationale of the dirty joke. I'm like, well, that looks interesting. So I sent my 99 cents and got 10 books that who knows what they were. And I get this book that's this thick. Holy shit. The introduction is 30 pages. <clears throat> and this guy has collected jokes all over the world, but he's kind enough to put the jokes themselves in italics. All right. So I'm going through and I'm reading every joke I ever knew and then some, and I'm flabbergasted. This is like 1977, long before I'm a comedian. I'm looking for jokes right. for the off-hour rockers for <laughs> Neptune's Pub. And at the end of his introduction, Gershon Legman, Val de Clamps, France, with the postal code. What do I got to lose? Of course. Just like I got in touch with Howard, just like I got in touch with Rodney. Blind letter. This is the tenacity Sir, we're talking blah, blah, about. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, I love your book. I'm a comedian. I think I sent him, he's in France. I, you know, here's my cassette tapes of my act. <clears throat> Total ballsy. Right. I said, and it was a two series, two book series. Rationale and Dirty Joke was series two. <laughs> and, uh, and number one was, uh, Whichever the two, right. there was a first version, a first volume. Okay. And I said, for the life of me, I, can't I cannot find, it. find yeah, this. Right. This is long before any internet, right. bookstores. I don't know what to do. A couple weeks later, the guy writes back, I love your stuff. You're so funny, just amazing, your energy. I have two copies of the first series of my book. I don't need two. I'll sell you one for $18. <laughs> So I buy his copy. Wow. And this guy was so crazy that in the in the in the margins right. in pencil are the corrections he's making wow. for when the thing is reprinted, which of course it was never gonna right. be. And the opening says to Jackie Martling, a great stand-up comedian from a sit-down comic and friend Gershon Legman, and here is twenty years later, he's the hero of the aristocrats. Wow. And so I'm reading, but this book's are, it's like reading the Bible. It's so thick <laughs> right. and there's so much material right. that it, you can only eat so much chocolate. Right. And at some point, I had heard the aristocrats joke down in Florida right. and it buried me. And uh, we all went wild. Um, and I finally am reading the end of Legman's book, the first, the, the the first one is the cleaner dirty jokes, and the second one is the dirty, dirty jokes. Right. And the last joke on the last page of the dirty joke book is the aristocrats. Right. And Gershon Legman's premise was, you are totally defined by what makes you laugh. Okay. And he says, the following joke was told to me by a magician who... Described it as his favorite joke. He was raised in horror in a family that battled constantly for 40 years, but the parents stayed together for the good of the children. He described my life. Wow. And then here's my favorite joke. Wow. I was like, yeah. awestruck. That's it. The universe and spoke. Then, and then 
when I did my dirty joke book in 1998, I put that joke in it. Sure. And it was the last joke right. on the last page right. in homage to Gershon right. Legman. And when Penn Jillette and Paul Provenza decide they want to do the aristocrats, right. if you look at the list of people in that movie, yeah. I don't belong in that list. <laughs> I mean, it's every famous comic you've ever heard of. Oh, uh, well, you'd be a And Jackie agent. Martland. Yeah, you know what I mean? And and Provenza called me up and said, Martling, we have to put you in the movie because we did a search on the web of the aristocrats. <laughs> we only got two hits, and they were both your website. Right. Because on my website, I had Legman's version. Right, and yours. And my version. That's so fantastic. And that my is... version is literally word for word almost the version oh, that, that Gilbert he... did. Oh, that Gilbert? Yeah. Uh, which Not is... that, you know, that I mean, I'm sure I was the one that told him the joke 40 years ago, whatever. <laughs> right. Not that it matters, you know. Now, what is that community like... Um... Before we get into the actual, actually, I'll, I'll just go in order. Do you, when you're doing stand-up stuff, are you, you got other guys on the bill too? Or like, what's the community of comedians like? Do well, not hang anymore, out with not, these guys? or In the early days, uh, you know, it's funny because Robin Williams used to say, ah, oh, getting famous is great, but it sucks because I miss riding in the car. <laughs> there was nothing better than the ride in the car. Right. Um, and... I remember the first year or two of comedy better than I remember the last 38. You know, <laughs> the, the form setting in your mind of the whole thing. When <clears throat> when I started, we were all scrambling. Mm. You know, I was out of the band. The guys were coming and appearing with me once in a while. We were on Richard M. Dixon's, and uh, he wasn't paying us. And, you know, nobody knew what to do. And I'm living at my grandmother's. She had passed away. I'm living out with my girlfriend. And Richie Minervini, who wound up opening the East Side, he's been around forever, he's still a very close friend. He wound up opening for Kevin James, and, mm -hmm. he, and he does his movies and stuff. So we're all not trying to one-up each other, but we're, we're trying to put a, a shine on something. So he comes into my grandmother's house, and he says, Oh, Jackie, I was at Dangerfields tonight. I went on and did great. Rodney said, God, you're so good, kid. I'm going to put you on TV. I'm going to take care of you. And meanwhile, I'm like so jealous that <laughs> my, my head's going to explode because here's Rodney's my favorite. Right. And let alone he got on in New York City like, holy Christ. So I sat down at the typewriter and every joke that I knew or used, I took and switched to Rodney language, how Rodney would say it, okay. how from Rodney's point of view, six pages. Wow. Meanwhile... A couple of weeks before that, I had been lying in bed, three or four in the morning, the phone rang, and my friend called me from Peru. And he said, Jack, Chief, wake up. You gotta hear this. I just ran into this guy, so fucking funny, man. He told me this funniest fucking joke, and he kept me on the phone. He must have known I was drunk, <laughs> and he wanted to make sure I remembered the phone call. <clears throat> and he told me a joke, and it was very funny. So I right away wrote it down. So in the six pages of jokes, that was one of the jokes. Sure. It was one of them. It didn't jump out at me, but it's a really funny joke. And I folded up and put him in an envelope, Rodney Dangerfield. Next time Richie walks in, I said, Richie, do me a favor, give these to your friend Rodney. And he goes, oh, man. He says, I didn't meet Rodney. He says, he wasn't even there. Oh, wow. And I'm like, you motherfucker. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I sat down and wrote these jokes, but of course I typed them out with right. a carbon copy. I already had the jokes in the envelope. He goes, 
But I was there. I swear to God, I was there. And he has, a, he, out of his pocket, he takes a matchbook. <laughs> Dangerfields with Rodney like this. Oh, God. 1001 First Avenue. I just hand wrote wow. the address and mailed it. What do I have to lose? Right. Two days later, I'm sitting there with my girlfriend in my grandmother's house. She's dead. Everybody she knows is dead. Nobody's got this number. <clears throat> the phone rings. Hello? Hello. Who is this? It's Rodney. <laughs> I said, Rodney who? I knew you were fucking funny. I knew that right away. And Lois is like, wow. who is it? I said, it's Rodney. She said, no, who is it, Richie? I said, it's Rodney Dangerfield. Come on. Hey, you know, there's a lot of funny stuff here. Some really fucking funny stuff. This, uh, this Tennessee two-bag is the funniest fucking thing I ever heard. <laughs> and the joke that he really loved was this girl was so ugly, she was known as a two-bagger. That's a girl so ugly, not only got to put a bag over her head, you got to put a bag over your own head in case her bag rips. <laughs> so he went nuts for this joke. He said, you know, there's about four of these jokes I want to buy. You know, send you a check and uh, wow. you know, why don't you come to Westbury Music Fair? So he sends me a letter with the four jokes. I got copies of last. I'll send wow. you to you. No. And 200 bucks, four jokes. <laughs> and we went to see him at, you know, this is like 1977 or right. something. This is... You know, this is before I'm a comic, right, you know, right. like I don't have an album or anything right. like that. You know, this is <clears throat> this we're just starting out. You know, this is 1978. We barely got our sea <laughs> legs. And, uh, you know, I walk into his dressing room and, you know, I got a ponytail down the middle of my back and I'm torn blue jeans and a beautiful young girlfriend. Oh, she's beautiful. Hey, want a piece of fruit? Hey, some funny fucking jokes. Well, look at the blue jeans with the fucking hair. What do you, what a fucking, she's pretty. Oh, you want some fruit? But he was shot out of a fucking cannon and right. we were like, I'm still there. I'm still there. So he buys the jokes and then I badged him for a couple of years to take me away That's... with him. And then he finally took me with him to Lauderdale. Wow. In Las Vegas, and it was... He was notoriously generous, right, for, to all young you know, comics. He, he was just the He nice was guy. like anybody. He was and he wasn't. You know, it oh, depends okay. on who yeah. you are. And, right. and you know, he, But he bought a lot of jokes for $50 a joke. <laughs> and, uh, and he was good about it, you know. And um, it was it was beyond exciting because this is this was my favorite guy. Yeah, right. You know, it wasn't just... He wasn't just a comedian, right. and he wasn't just a successful comedian. He was my favorite guy because... He was a punchline guy. Yeah. Like after he did a, did Carson, we'd call each other up and quote the jokes back and forth. Oh, that's so great. And just just fucking dying. And uh, I mean, Carson went off his chair when he did the yeah. two baggage joke. Oh yeah. And you know, later in life, he said, "Oh, that's the funniest fucking joke I ever had. How <laughs> I could be pissed at you?" That's you know? so great, Jackie. And it was nothing better. And it was always odd. Like down in Florida, I always went last. Because I was the dirtiest and the loudest, you know. It wasn't like a in, in the beginning. There wasn't no, no headliner, headliner, yeah. middle, open. You know, it was like three guys, and then all of a sudden the club owners realized, wait, we can get a lo local disc jockey to be the host of the show, and then he could talk about the comedy club on the radio. Mm. There was nothing funnier than watching a disc jockey <laughs> host the show because these guys are on the radio, right. so everybody they come in contact with is somebody they can help. Right. If you're Charlie that's selling cars and you're Henry that's selling right. roses, I'm the funniest guy in the world. I'm the greatest guy because I can only help you. Right. And to watch these guys get up there, number one, they have to be clean their whole lives. Right. And everybody thinks they're so entertaining. To watch them get up there and say fuck a hundred times <laughs> to a dead audience and just watch them realize nobody respected comics more 
than the local then, disc sure. jockeys because they realize like this is this is no walk this is right. no walk in the park right. this is you know you got to know what you're doing right. up there right. you know it it gets real quiet real quick <laughs> right. and real and dirty gets real dirty when it's real quick you know the whole thing sure. so it was always interesting but, but then it was funny and then uh, all of a sudden it became headliner and middle act and all that but it, that didn't exist but, when but I talk first talk again about the uh, the just the, the the car ride, the guys, the girls, the, the whoever, camaraderie. Like, what, I you mean, know, what was that? What's well, that? in the beginning, are you ripping each other? Are you telling jokes for each other? Oh, you know, we we laughed. You know, like, and I told old jokes, and I remember there was one time a guy got in the car with us, and uh, and it was the, our regular gang of guys, and and one of the guys said, Jackie, have you ever had an original thought in your life? <laughs> and I'll never forget Bob Woods. He's dead now. He said, Pal. Martling never has to open his mouth again ever, you know. Like I mean, <laughs> right, you know, right. because we all made each other laugh so hard and drank so much, <laughs> oh. and we were so out of control. But the, there wasn't the the backbiting or a competition right. or any okay. of that because we were all so new. Right. You know, we met at Dixon's, and Dixon wouldn't pay us. <laughs> so me and Richie, Richie Minervini started a show at uh, Cinnamon on in. Uh, which is upstairs at 25A and one and uh, 25A and 110 in Huntington. Oh, that used to be top of the town. Yes, and it that was, was Cinnamon, uh, yeah, and it right. was owned by Jerry Cooney, the fighter. Oh, the fighter, yeah, heavyweight fighter. His brother, his okay. brother, and another guy. Right. And we did a show there Tuesday nights that lasted for 12 years or something. But wow. after a year or two, Richie and his brother branched off and opened the East Side Comedy right. Club. Oh, and then yeah. I got a call <laughs> to do uh, Governors. And that's where my, I don't know if you know, I got a dirty joke line, 516-922-WINE, which I created you, to help. Wait, were you dial a joke? Was Not that, dial joke. Oh, I had my uh, own dial joke. Your own dial joke, right. And I created it to promote our shows okay. at right. Governor's, right. I mean, at, at Cinnamon. And then the guys from Governor's had a rock and roll club. Yeah. And they were going to get shut down by the neighbors because it was getting too loud. <laughs> and somebody said, well, why don't we make a comedy club? And somebody said, why don't we call the guy with the dirty joke line? Right. Like they say, now the rest of the history, me and Nancy went over there yeah. and said, all right, put the speakers here, put the stage here, give me a microphone right. and give me a phone, right. you know. Were there, guy, were there guys you watched that you, just, like, who were the funny, the ones where you you just fucking laughed every time? You know? uh, yeah, you don't you don't laugh at other comics, you know. like Really? Uh, I used to laugh at Otto. <laughs> uh, Bob Nelson make, made you laugh the first right. time. Um, Bob Nelson was the he had that the famous yeah, back with the football it, it, player. But he's the, so great, yeah. you know. Like and Dave Hawthorn was, mm -hmm. you know. And you saw all these other kids coming up too, like the Eddie you know, it's so and funny. all that stuff. At, there was a place called the Rainy Night House in Queens, and they said, "Oh, there's this new guy," and he got up. And I said, "What's this guy doing? He's wasting his time. He hadn't got a funny bone in his body." And a month later, I saw the same guy. I don't know if he had change what he was doing or whether my taste changed but all of a sudden this guy was really really funny that was paul riser wow you know uh, otto and george were always funny but only because it was so the the guy with the dirty dummy was so <laughs> over the top outrageous but uh, it was always fun and we right. all encouraged each other and you know comics would laugh at, at what other people didn't laugh at yeah you right. know we're all, we're all, uh, what's the word? What's the German word? Uh, Schadenfreude. Yes. 
You know, you love to watch people. Yes, you, know? you want to see like a nobody pain, ever comes in and says, "Hey, Minervini's out there killing," or "Hey, Kelly Rogers is out there killing." Hey, Woods is out there and he's really eating it, and you couldn't <laughs> get out there quick right. enough to watch. <laughs> and if somebody's on stage and they're bombing, yep. there's always like two distinct sounds. It's the guy tells this joke, and then it's quiet, <laughs> and then it's the roar of the comics in the back <laughs> to want to make sure that the guy on stage knows that they, they know. know that nobody laughed. I, I was with, this is one of my favorite stories. I was with Richard Jenny so long ago. I don't know if you know who he was. Great comic. Very great funny. Great comic. So long ago that he, he was the middle act. And I was uh, the headliner. We were, uh, this is like 84 sure, or something. Sure, he was, yeah. Big in the you know, things that, we, it, and it, I'm, I'm sure the MC was the local disc jockey. It, it right. progressed to that. It seems like it took a long time. But, you know, the first couple of years, it was like, you know, oh, I got to go last again, you know. And um, we're on, he's on stage, we're in Savannah, Georgia, <laughs> which now they would have no idea what he's talking about. But this is 1983 <laughs> or 84. And I'm in the back and I'm drunk. <laughs> and there's, you know, X amount of people in there. And it's a small club. And Rich Jenny is on stage and he's talking about Jewish people. In Savannah, Georgia. And I mean, they had, he might as well have been speaking Greek. And I'm, I wasn't that far away from him because it's a small club. He was right over there. And I'm on a stool in, in the back and I'm screaming. I'm just screaming. And it, the sweat and it was just like, because it wasn't like, well, let me go to something else. You no. didn't have that much material back then. He was still pretty new. <clears throat> and he's going on and on. It's a true story. What again, nobody would have to ever believe it. At a frustration, he, I can still see him. He puts his hand up here and he goes, do any of you people know what a bagel is? And the guy in the corner goes, yeah, it's a hunting dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I oh. scream. But the guy, I swear to you, in my opinion, the guy was not being funny. No, he was not. He was not being funny. And <laughs> it was like, Jenny told me, he told that on, on Leno. I, I never, I don't know whether he did or didn't, but that's, I that that's is. one of the great stories. Yeah, oh, that, that's the awesome. Great, you know, and comics laughing and other comics bombing. So, just, yes. Now, so, so many stories like that. You so know. I'm going to move ahead and uh, and we're going to get to Stern because you were not only an on-air personality with Stern, everybody remembers the who you were, but now you're writing and you're writing rapidly. So this is what I want to get to is like, like I asked you before, is are you were you used to write? You're used to just memorizing jokes. When radio, do you start writing? When does that radio happen? was not in my sights? You know, if you look at my life and go, you know, people say, "Oh, did you hear Jackie's podcast?" He's so all in love with himself. All I do is answer the questions. Right. You know, I'm, you're asking me, I'm telling you. Right. If you took my life and connect the dots backwards, it looks like I absolutely knew. I'd do this, and that would lead to this, right. and that would lead sure. to this. And meanwhile, my life has been a pinball game. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. Everything is so happenstance. You know, what if <clears throat> you know, what if Legman didn't write back? What if Rodney didn't write back? Sure. What if Howard didn't respond? But they did. Right. You know. So what did you did you 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 wrote to Howard? Is that how it worked? Um when I started doing comedy, 
I was telling old jokes, and I told my girlfriend, I said, you know, they laugh at everything I say. I should make an album. She said, so make an oh, album. Nice. So I set up microphones at Cinnamon. There's, there's no comedy club. <laughs> right. This is in a bar room, right. a restaurant, and recorded an album on a cassette player. Nice. With the audience mics going into the right and my mic going into the left. <laughs> and my buddies at the studio putting XLR out from my <laughs> microphone amp, which was player. a Fender guitar amplifier, split going into the left side. And I took home the cassette and mixed it onto reel to reel, chopped it up, borrowed $100 from 15 different people, and sent the master tape and the pictures to. To Nashville, and I'll tell you, when I went to pick up that thousand albums at Port Authority, you would have thought I was picking up quintuplets. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I get you for it now, thinking about. It. So, cut to three, two, uh, two, two years later, a little bit more than two years later, I got three albums, homemade albums, record them, cut right. them up. You know, when I was recording my second album at the East Side Comedy Club, I had the microphone set up. And Murphy came up and he said, Jack, you make another album? And I said, yeah. He said, Jack, I want to have an album. I said, I'd like to help you, Eddie, but I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a classic. So by 1982, I have three albums, and me and Nancy are sending them to everybody. Okay. If I ran into you and you said, I'm an actor, oh, Russ, give me your, give me your card. Let, let me send you my card. Not knowing if you'll ever be able to help me, if you'll even open it, Right. Who cares? And I mean, we're throwing crap against the wall. The right. classic. Yeah. And so uh, I, I worked at this place, Garvin's, in Washington, D.C., and the owner said, hey, listen, there's a guy that used to do broadcasts in his underwear on Friday mornings from the club, and he just got fired here at D.C., and he's going to WNBC in New York. You should look him up. Three albums, matching sets, all the promo, Howard Stern, care of WNBC. <laughs> I never heard of the guy. Right. No no idea. No right. nothing. But he's one of the many guys, many people that got that package. And he also went on to the and, you know, we had people Rolodex and we had business. He was on our business Rolodex. So many of those people never entered our lives again. And one day Nancy called up and said, Hey that guy Howard Stern's on the phone. I want <laughs> you to call him and I called up. It had been a couple months, you know, they, he got to New York and got settled. He said, hey, listen, we listen to your albums and you know every joke. You want to come hang out on the air? I said, sure. So I drove into Manhattan and he had 30 Rock and Letterman right, and right, Carson, right. you know, That's like, right. whoa. And I walked in, it was Howard and Robin and Fred and me. And we laughed for four hours. That's fantastic. And at the end of the day, he said, you know what, you're a lot of fun. Why don't you come back next week? <laughs> so I came back once a week for three years for free. Really? And I... Okay. have an idea and like pass it to him. And at first he was a little skittish about it and slowly but surely I was giving him ideas and then he got fired. Mm. Yeah. And then he went to K-Rock. K-Rock, right. And I was still on one day a week and slowly but surely I was, you know, giving him ideas. But went to, when we went to K-Rock, it was a different setup and it was actually a place for me to put my ideas. Mm. Um, and then he called up and said, listen, we're going to mornings. You know, they're putting us on mornings. Oh, I want a price for two days a week. Yeah, so that's want, getting up at like... Our, my total job description for 18 years, we're going to mornings, 
I want you to come on twice a week and do your thing with the notes. That was my job description. Mm. That was the total thing. Do your thing with the notes. Because I got to the point where I was writing things down and putting them on. He had like a, you know, like right. a, like a, a, a loose leaf. Mm. And he'd have the, the copy for the commercials and a blank pl and put a note there. And within a month, or maybe two months, I went from two to three to four to five days a week because he was funnier when I was there. <laughs> and it's not that I'm a genius or he's not a genius. Right. The well, point is, with a little wind in your back, yeah. you're a little bit faster sprinter. You right. Know? And there's a, it's the chemistry, but it's also what are you, what are you doing that is, uh, how are you doing it so quickly? Is it just <clears throat> you just you just things are occurring as things are happening? You're writing it down. Kind it's. Of because you hadn't done me, that before, you, right? And that, no, it was, it, it was totally... Totally new to you. It was uh, necessity is the mother invention. Right, like, right. You know, I wanted in. Right. Um, it wasn't my place to talk and be funny because if I had talked out and was funny, <laughs> I wouldn't have been there long. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, nothing against him. It's his show. That's the way it is, yeah. And I had a great laugh. <laughs> you did. And I was fun. <laughs> yes. So it was worth having me there. And they liked to pick on me. And the fact that they could pick on me and I had a good laugh was just about enough to justify me being in the room. Right, right. Okay? Right. So it's not like, why is that guy sitting there? You know, he's, he's the foil. Right. But imagine we're out to lunch. You and Eddie and me. Right. You say something, he says something, I say something. I'm a funny guy, you're a funny guy. He's like, we're, we're, it's an animated conversation. Sure. Instead... We're at lunch and we're having this animated conversation. If I think of something funny to say, instead of saying it, I write it down and put it in front of you and you say it. Right. Got so uh, it. you have your sense of humor and, <laughs> and my yours, sense of right. humor. And meanwhile, I can think about what's going on. You're driving the bus. I can read the map. You can't drive the bus and read the map at the same time. Right, right. So I can think ahead a little bit. And I don't know exactly. I guess I'm real fast. Clearly. But that, but. I don't know that. Once again, here we are. Is the fish know it's in water? Yeah, somebody else. You know, knows. I know the next thing I'm going to think of, and but not only did you have to think, you had to think of it and write it down and get it in front of them. Right. Comedy moves fast. Exactly. You know. Yeah. But sometimes I get something. By the time I got it up there, we'd be past You'd it. Be but past if it was it. funny enough, he'd circle around and come back. Right. Right. He would take something I wrote about Fred and make it about me, or if it's sure. something about Gary, he would switch it and make it right. about Fred. You know. Right. Or he'd switch things. You know, the guy is absolutely brilliant. And I would right. never take anything when people say, oh, well, you, you know, you were the whole sense of No, no, no I wasn't, not, yeah. you know. Because I'd come home, my wife would say, yeah, the funniest joke you wrote today was such and such. I said, well, I didn't write that. He said that on his own. She said, but you laughed so hard. Because it was funny. Because it was funny. My job is to laugh when something's funny. And I'll tell I you, laugh really hard at what I write because I wouldn't have written it if I didn't think it was funny. And that's a tough gig when they switch you to mornings because you know you got to get up, you got to get up at what fucking two in the morning or something to do that. Jesus Christ! You know that's in hard my to be funny. Life, I, I wrote in my book. I said in my entire life, I think I got up twice <laughs> at four o'clock. Once to go fishing and once to take a, a ride back from Saratoga with my buddy's parents. Right. I mean, I could remember. And all of a sudden, here we are getting up at 4.30 every morning. Mm. And and after, after, you know, I'm how old am I? I'm like uh, 
35 years old, 35 years of going to bed at five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> right, you know, right. you know, three Mary Tyler Moores and two Bob Newharts. The comedians <laughs> used to say, here's Lucy was God's way of telling comedians to, to go, go to bed. To bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know. Yeah. Once they got to the Lucy show and it wasn't even, I love Lucy. Anymore, was, you right. knew the reruns were, yeah, it's done. over. <laughs> but, uh, it was just, it was, and it just worked. It Did you just, enjoy it? Did you have a great time on it when you were really cooking or, or was it just hard? I had as good a time or? the last day as the first day. Oh, the hours great. were impossible. Right. Uh, behind the scenes, I was, I was treated horribly. You know, people say, how could you make all that much money? And be, but you, it, it's subtle. Sure. You know, you'd have to know. Right. You know, I was going back over some stuff that I completely forgot. I, I looked at some of my old contracts and things that went down. You know, they, you make agreement on the contract, and okay, right. and then they give you the contract to sign, and this isn't what you agreed to, you know. Yeah, right, right. And like, oh, you're gonna, are you going to make trouble? Right. Oh, oh, you're making trouble again? Right. Oh, you again with the trouble, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, but, well, you but know, all in all, it was spectacular. Yeah. Spectacular. I was talking to a, another buddy of mine, uh, a musician, and uh, the one little thing we have in common that has anything to do with Howard Stern or anything is... I went to school with uh, stuttering John Melendez. Massapequa High. Uh, Plainage High School. Plainage he High was school. a couple of years ahead of us, and he was actually this musician I was talking to. He was his guitar teacher. Ah. And that guy, he was always a nutbag, you know, and, and a really nice guy and had metal head back as a kid. But I remember when he was on that show, we were like, how the fuck did stuttering John Melendez... And, and then he went on to become... Len I mean, it, it, Howard had all these characters that you're like, how did that guy get on? Well, Gary walked in and said, Howard, there's a guy here who wants to intern on the show. He has a stutter. And Howard said, to hire him. <laughs> he didn't even say, I want to meet him. He said, hire him. You know? Right. And he was that brilliant, you know? Yeah. It, it was, yeah a lot it, of characters. I mean, it's all so many people walked in and out of that world. You must have had material for days. It was so interesting, you know? Did you pick up new jokes and stuff just from that, like, you know, the same way you got the book from the French guy? The, no, no, no. You know, nobody was all that funny. No, you know, they, okay. they really weren't, you know. And I, in all those years, I, I don't think I gave Howard two jokes. I mean, they were all lines. They were right. lines and concepts and all right. kinds of crazy, like here and there, you know, right. and unless we wrote like a Sternak or something right. like that, which was joke, joke, jokes, you know, or we wrote a bit. You know, we did a thing called Sternak, which was Carson's Karnak. Right, yes. Where he held the envelope, the envelope yep, up, right. and they'd be as dirty as they could get. <laughs> and uh, and I made Johnny Carson fall off his chair, which is one of my claims to fame. Really? Tell yeah. that story. They, I want to hear um, that. How did that happen? The, they invited me and Nancy to go out to the season premiere of Sex in the City. Okay. And I said, well, you know, we're in New York. This is Hollywood. They said, no, we'll fly out. First class, put you up. Just don't tell anybody. Because you know? they knew talk, if we talk about it on the Stern Show, it's worth gold. <laughs> right. So we go out, and we go to the premiere, and it was really exciting. And it's funny because the lead guy, Michael, I'll never think of his name, no, Michael, the, the, the creator or the producer, whatever, had been in a, 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 two, a, a guy and girl group in Philadelphia when I started out. Oh, is that right? Uh, him, him and you know who Dom Herrera is? Yeah. Well, Don Herrera's wife, Lisa Mendez, and this guy, right. Michael. I how could I not know we'll, his name? We'll pull it up somewhere. They, they, they were a two-man group. I had so much fun. I was in Philadelphia for four years before the Stern Show. Forget being in, in Philadelphia before I ever met Howard. Right. I was having fun in Philadelphia. <laughs> it was insane fun. The guy, John DeBella, that we wound up going to battle with, I knew from LIR on Long Island right. in the 70s. I mean, it, it, 
you know, you live long enough, things go yeah, wild, exactly. wild, wild. So, um, what the hell are we talking? You go about? out to L.A. for car, the so, Sex and City. So, uh, somebody says you want to go to a party. That you know, a bunch of writers going to a party. Writers, producers, you know, real Hollywood party. And I was like, wow, that you know, that's a new thing to me. I'd love that. So we go to this Hollywood party, and there's a, lots of people that you know, and then you know, you know, slowly but surely they find out who you are, and and you know, and who they are, and and, and it was really fun. Sure. In, inside, fun, funny people can t tell a joke, tell a story. Right. This guy, Tony DeSena, comes over to me. He says, Jackie, uh, I got a story that I know you'll love. He said, I was a writer on The Carson Show for the last couple of years before he quit. Mm. And, uh, but I stayed friends. And we, you know, we go to lunch once in a while. <clears throat> I, I'm pretty sure at this point, he's, I, I don't know what years, but I think Carson was still alive. I don't remember Yeah, exactly. I think he died in the early 2000s. Sex yeah, in the City whatever. was early 2000s. But that doesn't really, I mean, yeah. really do. So what happened was we used to do this thing called Sternak. Right. Where Howard was Sternak, which was Karnak with the thing <laughs> the and, envelope. you know, the music. <laughs> and he'd hold up the envelope and he'd say the answer and then he'd open up the question. Right. And there was a guy that used to come in, not all the time, but usually when we did the thing, uh, this guy, Al Rosenberg, a very, very funny guy. He used to work with Imus, used to work on Foxy, a very funny guy, dear guy. Uh, he was one of the writers with us on Channel 9 show. I still love the guy. And he would come in and play Ed McMad, M-A-D, <laughs> right. Ed McMad. Right. And from the minute, he was Stern. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> hi, uh, hi, Stern. Oh, 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 oh. Way overdone. Right. How are you, Ed? Oh, 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 oh. It was ridiculous, right. ridiculously lampooning. But somebody <laughs> must have turned on the Stern show or heard it and said, and now here's Ed McMahon. Oh! And called Johnny. Oh. Said, Johnny. Oh, that's great. Ed's on the Howard Stern show? <laughs> so Johnny calls up Tony DeSena. He says, Johnny called me and said, Tony, what's this? This I know you're a fan of that Stern show. Ed, Ed was on the Howard Stern show? He goes, no, John. They, they, there's a, they do a thing... <laughs> A, a their imitation yeah. of Karnak, and they have this guy on that plays Ed McMad, and he laughs like Ed. He's going, oh, Sternak, huh? Is it funny? He goes, what? Well, yeah, it could be funny. He said, uh, it, this guy, Jackie Martling, writes them, and he's, I wrote them all. I wrote all the Sternaks and all the insults, <laughs> so I got the full blame. Right, of right. course, yeah. You know, a, the tiny little credit, but the full blame. Plausible deniability. If, if it's <laughs> So I made I worked hard on them and they were usually pretty pretty interesting and <clears throat> as borderline filthy as you could get but people forget people say oh, you're coming over my house don't curse I'm like we were on terrestrial radio for 15 years That's people right. forget right right that it had to be clean 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 yeah. clean clean because now it's serious right so it goes well it's funny well this guy Jackie Martling writes him he says and it's funny he said it can be very funny and Carson said uh give me an example and at the time this movie was in the theaters and he said okay uh, the answer is eyes wide shut eyes wide shut and the question was how would a black man tell you his name was wide shut 
<laughs> he said Carson oh, Jesus. went nuts. Oh, my like, God. Which is just so horrible, but so funny and right. so stupid. And Carson said, well, right, it's pretty funny, Tony. You know? He said, uh, I knew, hey, Jackie, I knew you would love to hear that story. Isn't now, that a great story? It is a great yeah. story. And I, that segues perfect into what I want to get into now, which is that's a that's a... That's a joke of its time. When you look around now, can comedy is comedy taking a hit on some of this woke uh, you know snowflake I, uh, social media social justice stuff? Or? I still uh, no. I'll hit a Polish joke, a Jewish joke, a right. black joke here and there, but less and less because um, marriage jokes, poop jokes, they hold up and and they're plenty. Right. You know, I I wound up now. I tell jokes now that were well, two Polish guys did this. <laughs> Just two guys did this. Right. It's just as it's funny because people are stupid, you know, in <laughs> right. general. It's, and just like Henny Youngman, you know, when you're a kid, Henny Youngman isn't that funny. But once you get married or have a girlfriend and time moves on, right. Henny Youngman gets funnier and funnier right. and funnier right. because it's reality. It's just like the honeymoon is getting right. funnier. And uh, it's still fun, you know, tell a Polish joke or you make it into a blonde joke or, you know, a cheap Jew joke, whatever. Right. I don't let it cut my balls off. Right. But I never was all that horrible. Right. You know, like I never used real bad like black slurs or Jewish slurs sure. or Italian slurs. I didn't use the, the, those killer words. Right. Never. Right. You know, the black guy did this, the Jewish guy right. did this. Right. I did in the very beginning I used to say Polak. And I didn't realize that Polak was like, in essence, like kike or wop right, or something right, like that, right. which I didn't see that. And once somebody told me, I was like, well, right. there's no skin off my ass, you know, right. like... Uh, because my job is not to insult. Right. My job is to make you laugh. Right. You know, right. So. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the the thing that we do that's similar is you know the actor and the you, you're trying to reflect something truthful to the audience that they recognize in themselves. So if you're going to put walls around that and be well, you can't do that or you can't. It, yeah, it, no. It, it's. But what you got to do is is. Nobody tells you don't do this or do this. Right. You do it yourself. Right. You know, before anybody can say, you know, don't jump off that cliff, just take a few steps back and <laughs> right. you don't jump Maybe off Maybe think cliff. about it first, yeah. yeah. You know, but uh, it is interesting, but, you know, and people get, get upset with me, you know, that, that joke's offensive to women or that joke's <laughs> right. offensive. Listen, it's called a punchline. Right. Somebody's getting hurt. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. That's my job. You know, you know, don't come, don't come in. Right, right, you know, exactly. I insult your wife, I insult your marriage. Who cares? Everybody's got a wife, everybody's got a marriage. Right. Could Rickles exist? You know, I, I mean, it'd be, it's a different world. Uh, you know, I don't know. He, yeah, you it's, know. Not, it's not the same place. You know, 30 years later, he was doing the exact same, <laughs> same act, you know. Right. Look at this Nazi bastard. You know, like, <laughs> right. You know, we're laughing because you're a little stubby Jew, you know. Yeah, right. So, you know. Well, the other thing I want to talk about, too, is you say you go to this party, in the height of this, Fame. Is this the first real, like, where you really, are people recognizing you? Or, like, what's no, you that know what? vibe like? When, when I first, uh, it's so funny because people say, are, are, are you popular in your town? I was a loudmouth <laughs> from the word go. So Oyster Bay, everybody in Oyster Bay and East Norwich, they knew me already. Right. You know, it wasn't like, you know, half the, most of the people in Oyster Bay, they didn't listen to the Stern Show or watch the Stern Show. Right. And then somebody would watch it and say, hey, he says you're an angry, cheap old man. And I'm like... You know, and meanwhile, I'm the most generous guy, and I'm the guy that's got everybody laughing for the last 50 years. Right. And they're like, what What the hell is he talking about? You right. know, but um, 
it was interesting how it got to a point where in in the beginning people didn't even know Robin was black. You know, right. they had no idea That's I was right. writing. To this day, there's people that had no idea I was writing. It's funny what they know and what they don't know. But we started on the e-channel, which was right. snippets of the show on television. Right. And the first time, you know, there's always light bulb moments. Right. You know, where, whoa. And the ASPCA of New Orleans brought <laughs> me down there to do a show. I was on with Steppenwolf and Leon Russell. And hmm. I was in the middle. Riverwalk. 5,000 people. That that was incredible. Right. But they didn't have to know who the hell I was. But they went wild because it was Stern Show. But me and Nancy went to Bourbon Street and to get something to eat. And we went to a restaurant, went upstairs, and we're in a you know, wrought iron table looking down over Bourbon Street. And absolutely nonchalantly, the waiter came over the table and said, Hi, Jackie. Hi, Nancy. Wow. And it hit, like, not only did this guy know who I was who and felt like he was our friend. He knew us. Wow. Wow. They knew, and I was like, wow. You know, it's one, it's one thing, you know, but they, <laughs> you know, it's a double-edged sword. One of my favorite stories, there's a Howard Johnson's in East Norwich. And down the street from East Norwich is uh, Westbury Music Fan. Right. And right next to Howard Johnson's was Burt Bacharach Motorin. So a lot of times, you know, I remember my mother said, Bob Hope went walking past the house the other night. And we're like, oh boy, mom's losing it. And it turns out Bob Hope was at Westbury Music Fair and he's staying at Burt Bacharach and he's walking his dog. And she waved, hi, Bob. You know, we thought she's out of her mind. Right. And then my sister came home drunk one night late and there was Bob Hope walking. Oh, maybe mom's not crazy. <laughs> so you never knew who was at Westbury right. or whatever. And this is just after the same thing where we're just getting to where people knew us, right. you know. And me and Nancy were sitting there having something to eat at a two-top, you know, in Howard mm -hmm. Johnson's. And from over my shoulder, a woman comes over and taps me on my shoulder and stick. she put her, she was right in my face. It was so great. She says, can I ask you who you are? <laughs> and I was like, Jackie Martling. And she goes, it's not him. <laughs> I'm telling you, my my ex-wife is still laughing at that's that. The, oh. She roared. That's when that, you know that, the height of fame is when. Right, they, that was the greatest. Like, not so fast, my friend. Right. Not and so fast. You thought you were special. But I mean, right, my ass. Not him. <laughs> oh God. Now you got uh, a book out. Now it's uh, you have you wrote up joke books, but this one is your autobiography. This is the joke man. Bow to Stern, and you can't Google Bow to Stern, because if you Google that, you get a seventh grade sailing manual. But it's The Joke Man, Bow to Stern, and it's available uh, on Amazon, but it's available on Kindle right. and on Audible. Audible. And people love that because it's... It's you reading it, back right? on the ra Yeah, back yeah, on the radio. Great. That's awesome. And for the most part, it's people love it. I got so many great reviews. Of course, there's a couple of people... This is the worst book. Well, you can tell they never read it. Right. You know, the Howard people. And uh, a year or two ago, I, think, I don't remember the timing, but I got a big bump in sales. <laughs> and my my uh, rep from the, whatever, the, the, the aid book agent, agent called right. up and said, what'd you do? Because I do a lot of podcasts sure, and a sure. lot of interviews. <laughs> right. And I love talking about the book. And, and you know, but never more than any more, you know, I'll do two this week and none next week and right. three, you know. 
He said, but you got a big bump. And I said, I have no idea what happened. I'd always put it on my website. I always put it in my mailing. What had happened was Howard put out another book. Oh. And, it's... and was on Amazon. Right. He'd never told his audience that Jackie had a book. Right. They had no idea I had a book. And all of a sudden, Howard Stern's book, and underneath, people who bought this also, also like... ordered. <laughs> right. And there's Jackie's book and John's book and Artie's book. They already... They already have their credit card there. Right. They already have the mouse there. Right. Just by clicking. Right. For another fifteen dollars, they get Jackie's book. And I. Thank God for those artificial intelligence algorithms that just stick you in there with that. And and. <laughs> I I wonder if he knows. I I mean I don't know if I don't know if it sold ten extra books or a right. thousand extra books. Right. But it was enough that the guy called me up and said, "Holy Christ!" Now man. when when did you this when did you decide that. I'm going to put all this stuff down. And did did you literally, you literally yeah, write I, all this shit I, out? My first, well, I wrote a book in the 70s. Uh, do you remember John F. Kennedy? Mm-hmm, obviously. Wrote a book called Profiles in mm-hmm, Courage. Right, right. So in the late 70s, my book was Profiles in Discourage. <laughs> and I told some of the stories from my childhood, you know, and I remember one of my buddies said, you know, this is a great book. It's not going anywhere until you get famous. But once you're famous, it might be all right. And then I started toying around uh, in the mid-90s. R- Rory Rosegarten was my manager. He, he's the guy who had Roy Romano and made mm-hmm. Ray Romano made a gazillion dollars. Still a very, very close friend. He said, Mel Berger at uh, William Morris thinks, you know, you should write a book. I'm like, and the opening of the, the, the forward was, I'm sitting in a luncheonette here at JFK waiting for Gilbert Gottfried. We're flying to Las Vegas uh, to do a 20-minute section of a TV show. And they sent me the script, and there's two guys in the script. They failed to tell me which of the two guys I was playing. <laughs> but uh, Mel Berger, one of the top guys at William Morris, thinks I could have a book, so stay tuned. And then there was no sense staying tuned. Yeah, right. But slowly but surely, I had written down stories. I'd write down a story and I'd put it on my website. And some of my stories I loved so much and I'd write them at, a lot of the, my original stories aren't in my book. When I wrote the book, I had twice as much as I needed. Wow. Twice as much. So wow. I had to do Sophie's Choice and say, this goes in, <laughs> right. this doesn't, this right. goes in. This. And now I read the ones, like the chapter about making private parts right. is not in my book. Okay. I'm like, and this was a chapter. This was a chapter that showed them treating me badly, paying me poorly, not giving me credit. Not you know, like they conveniently made the movie, so I wasn't there. I was sure. barely there when sure. when the you know they had to create it. So the last thing they were going to do was have people see me passing a, a joke. Notes and, yeah. But I was thrilled to be in it. It was the most fun I ever right. had in my life. But. Um, but I had amassed those stories over the years, and and I loved them all. And I over the years, I've sent them to my friends. What do right. you think of this? Oh, that's great. It's going to be great. And then I tried to get a deal and couldn't get one. Tried to get a deal and couldn't get one. Tried to get a deal and couldn't. And I was banging my head against the wall. But I remembered in the late 70s, I banged my head against the wall for so long trying to get them to put out a joke book. Mm. And finally, they put out my joke book, and it all went away. All the door knocking... All that stuff melted away. I asked for a joke book, and I got a joke book. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yes. It's like, yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, uh, 
this girl that I was very, very good friend. And she said, this guy's interested. And I said, listen, I got a couple other people going. I, I don't need him. <laughs> and then they fell through. And I said, listen, ask Peter mm. if, if he still thinks he can get me a deal. And she goes, yes, he's interested. And I go to lunch with this guy. And this has nothing to do with anything. But I had my 516-922 wine joke line since 1979. Oh God, since cinnamon. Still, still going. Crazy. This guy, this book agent, when he was a little kid, when you're a little kid, there's things that happen at different ages. Right. And the first time he became aware there was such thing as a phone, there was a phone, but he didn't have anybody to call. And I don't know whether, I got to go back and get, whether his father had a, a sticker or right. whatever it was, the first phone call he ever made in his life <laughs> was to five one six nine two two one. And here he is, and he got me a That's book incredible. deal. That's incredible. And he said the, he's the guy who called me and said, "Hey Stern, right. gave you a bump without knowing it." That's a well, great. No, or, yeah. you know, but um, <clears throat> and uh, how long did it take you to write? To, well, to the, put the, time I already started. had it, and then I went through. You know, I had a guy help me sure. choose what chapters and. Uh, but all the editing, all the writing, nobody smoothed it over or changed anything, okay. you know. And, you know, I don't care if people believe it, don't believe it, <laughs> you know. Like when somebody says, Jackie, obviously you had a ghostwriter, that's that's flattering to me, right. you know. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> but uh, Do you like I'm it? smart, I'm not stupid, and, and and it's a little funny and a little witty. And But one thing, and everybody's not sold on this, but every syllable is true. Right. There is there is nothing right. that isn't the way it if if any of it is wrong, it's only because maybe my memory is not perfect. Well, it's but pretty it's close. nothing uh <laughs> you know. Yeah, if I didn't have a blue car, I had a red car. Right, right. Thing, that know. kind of a thing. Well, did before I'm gonna do one last little bit on this and then I wanna get into how we met and we'll wrap it up in a bit, but the writing, do you like did you like doing that? Is it was it fun to have to, to go through all this shit? And you know, they, put it they down? made a documentary on me that's not out yet, and I was talking about when you write a, a story that happened to you in your life and you get done with it, it. It is more euphoric than anything in the world, and I can't believe I don't sit down and do it more. But I've got so much. Why? Why is that? Why is you, it? It's just, it's just getting it out, and when you sit down and start writing that. It spurs it, you know. It's just like talking. You're talking to somebody. I always sound like I'm making up stuff as I go along right. because it makes you think of something else, right. and it makes you think of something else. But the things that really happen, I, I can't tell you how many times in the last five years I've gone. I can't believe it. That didn't make it into my book or into right. my notes because it's funny, silly, right, crazy stuff. There's an element of uh, probably a sense memory of nostalgia that comes back, and you're like you're back there in Nashville. You're back there in. DC or whatever. I'll try to make this quick. So we're talking about Florida and you say, well, you know, what was it like? You know, was there camaraderie or was it, right. it was the headline or blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, no. In the old days, it was always just three comics or just four comics. And we never, I never was in any arguments about who goes when, because, you know, with a small crowd, you don't want to be, you know, <laughs> I went last. I didn't have a choice, so I, I wasn't part of that discussion. I was loud. I was last. And we're at Fort Lauderdale at the comic strip, and it's Saturday night, and they said, Martling, this girl invited us all to a party. 
We're not going to sit here and spend 40 minutes watching you tell your dick chokes. <laughs> We're going to the party and you can get a cab. And I'm like, I, I understand this. I'm, it's fine. Ten years ago, I'm doing a golf outing in Nissaquag for a Carol M. Baldwin Cancer Fund. Okay. I play golf with them. With Cooney and all these guys right. and Alec Baldwin. The Baldwins, right. They, all the Long Island either, guys. either Alec or Billy or Stephen each year would show up. And, you know, the last words Alec Baldwin ever said to me were, you are so fucking funny, which still <laughs> of resonates in my head. So we're doing this outing and we're having putting contests before. And there's a bunch of guys standing around telling stories. And this guy says, Jackie, come here. I think you want to hear this. So I go over and this guy says, so decades ago, I'm living in Fort Lauderdale, working as a cab driver. And I get a call to pick up a guy at the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale. I go and pick up this guy. He gives me the address. We're going to, he's going to a party. He says, we get to the party. Oh, he says, when he came out and got in the cab, he gave me an album. <laughs> I drove him to the party. He insisted that I go in. I went in, had some drinks. <laughs> the cab got driver. stoned, <laughs> got laid, had a great time, went home, loved the album, called the number on the album for bookings, call. It was my home phone number. He says, <laughs> and I called the number. This almost makes me cry. Oh, He's like, called the number. And this woman answered the phone. And it was the most enchanting 45-minute phone call I've ever had. This woman was brilliant and hysterical. My mother's sitting there alone. She got a phone call oh out of the blue. God. Wow. <laughs> that's great. They and that that's the story of yeah. everybody gets an album. And right. here it is years later. This guy's a contractor. You probably know his name. He's an electrical contractor <laughs> right. on the South Shore. Wow. I mean, on the East End. Right. Who that's He's incredible. a gazillionaire. Wow. I'm like, what a yeah. I mean, who could who could make that up? No, that's you know? just that's incredible. And I loved hearing it. You know, yeah. and it means nothing to anyone, but it's yeah. But it's very. It tells the tale. Yes, absolutely. You know, everybody gets an album. Yep. Share the wealth. Come right. in, get drunk. I'm sure <laughs> I told them jokes on the way. I'm sure I'm half in the bag from the show. You <laughs> right, know, right? That's fantastic. Isn't that great. All right, so last little bit, uh, just how you and I met. We met uh, uh, doing a little low-budget picture where we uh, were actors. Now, as an actor, were you ever an act? Were you, were you doing that before? Was that one of your first things? I'll acting? tell you one thing about you. <laughs> when I first heard of this Fred Carpenter guy, he must have sent me one of his movies. Okay, yeah, right. And there was this nasty motherfucker in this movie <laughs> that was so vicious that I really couldn't believe it. And then I met you, and it was you. And I'm telling you, I'm still trying to... Those those images are still clashing in my mind. Right. I always wanted to be an, an actor. I, you know, I wasn't any good at it. But uh, at some point, you know, I took acting lessons. I actually took acting lessons with a guy named Tom Waits, who's not Tom Waits, not the guitar the Tom player. Waits, right. Thomas Waits. He... He got Al, Al Pacino to do American Buffalo on stage in New York and I guess he played the young guy and he was he must have been on fire and I don't know what he did but he did something to, like Jackie Mason giving Ed Sullivan the finger uh, he did something to shoot himself in the foot because mm. here it is decades later 
He was the guy in Injustice for All. I don't know if you remember. Right, I remember the There film. was a guy who the cops picked up who had a very generic name, like Tom Williams, mm. who had murdered somebody. Okay. But it wasn't him. Okay, it was right. a different Tom Williams. Right. But they took him to jail and locked him up, mm. and he freaked out, mm. and he wound up, and they wound right. up shooting him and killing right, him. Right, and right. it was a great, great role. Great scene, yeah. Then he wasn't heard of for millions of years. And he was your acting teacher. And, and he just... Uh, we, I was making a movie for Ken, Ken Del Vecchio. Oh, that, yeah. I know that name. <laughs> yeah, same a, same category as Fred. Yeah. And uh, and this guy, Tom Waits, said, you mind if I give you some pointers? Okay. And I said, I would love that. Yeah. And he gave me a few. You know, it's almost like telling a guy holding the golf club, no, don't hold yeah, the head, right. hold, sure, the, sure. hold the handle. Right. You know, when you're that new, right. a little bit goes a long way. Right. And he said, you know, you should come do acting classes. And I did his acting classes for I don't, a year or two or three. And I really, really loved it. Sure. And it was like, my apartment's on 56th and 8th. And his, stu his studio was like 23rd and Lex. But I'd take the subway down and go to his acting class. But then I would walk all the way back, which was my reward Right. So I could go to Junior's and stuff myself full of fried chicken because I had walked it off. Right. But then they off when I got off of the show on Sirius to do Jackie's Joke Hunt, right. my own show on Sirius, yep. the only slot that was open was Tuesday, 7 p.m. Right. And my acting class was Tuesday, right. 7 p.m. And that was the end of the acting right. class. I, I, right after we did that, that uh, the mob picture that we did together, uh, you had me on. We did the whole... The Jackie's joke hunt there. Oh, you did that. Yeah, That's I think great. I did that show with you. A million yeah, people. That was, that was you a know, lot of fun. That was fun. We really, really loved doing it. Um, everybody get a joke. You'd pass a joke around and everybody do a joke. 402 shows we did. That's great. So crazy. But uh, I loved acting. I loved... Do you still do it? You still going if, out if, there doing it? If somebody... If I just... You know, I had a role um, a month or two ago. We did this mob thing called Almost Made. And... I got to, I improvised my own line. <laughs> and it's something that I know is going to bury my girlfriend because it's <laughs> something I'm always saying around the house, but I haven't told her yet. And I've been biting my lip forever because I wanted to see it yeah, for the first sure, time. Yeah, sure, absolutely. But uh, that was real weird, you know, with, with the COVID and the yeah. mess and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Hold but it up. was, you know, the same eight Italian guys, you know, Paul Borghese <laughs> and, right. and, yeah. and Lou Venaria. Did you, you saw the... the uh, uh, the the Irishman. Yes, you know, right. Lou Venaria was the guy with the pink hair. Yeah, the, right. You know, and uh, and we had a great great time. That's and, good. But I, you know, it's rare I do these things. You know, I had a shot on Leverage a million years ago, and I had a shot on uh, um, some cop show with with David. Whatever his name was. Well, yeah. I thought you, I I thought you were great in the thing we did. That that was my first time meeting you, and and. Didn't know that you acted, but you the scene was great. You played a little kind of you were a little drunk in the scene with me, and it was I great. It was a great that, you know yeah, it was I, a really awesome job. I thought that you know, but I just uh, you know when I do it, you know I, I do okay. That that thing with Vinnie Pastore was so funny because uh, <laughs> that girl wrote. I guess it's a short film, mm. and I guess it's an Italian thing. You want to sell your house, you bury Saint Joseph upside down. I don't know yeah, any right, of this crap, right. you know, but. You know, nobody is paying attention to this movie, and and and, and Vinnie Pastore shows up, and I'm like a clown, 
I work as a clown and I'm going to buy this house. So I got on this crazy suit with a big flower that squirts. And he comes walking up and and I squeeze the thing and I got a picture of, of him being hit in the eye with the water. And I said to the girl, put this on Instagram Absolutely. and put squirting pussy. <laughs> I said, the entire world... We'll pass that around because everybody knows he's big he's pussy. Big pussy and he's squirting pussy. Come on, squirting pussy. Such a perfect, perfect yeah. double oh, entendre. You know. And it's, it'll come up in a search real fast. <laughs> Unbelievable. And disappoint a few people. Yeah, exactly. No kidding. All right, so I'm going to wrap it up here. So to the, because what we talked, what, what the thing about everybody I talk to like you is, like I said before, there's a talent, but then there's, the guy who goes, fuck it, I'm going to write him a letter. Fuck it, I'm going to call the fuck. Fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. What is it about that, and what advice could you give to the young, whatever, comedian, actor? What is it about the tenacity of this business that you need to know? Nothing except that is 99% of it. That's You know, when you first start doing this, uh, first get any kind of fame, People ask the same questions, you know, we the class clown, blah, 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 blah. And very often people come up and say, I want to be a comedian. What should I do? <laughs> and you get asked that a lot. And pretty soon, pretty, pretty early on, people would ask me that and I'd say, quit. They said, what do you mean? I said, forget it. It's too crazy. You don't <laughs> want to do that. Which sounds rude. And it ain't. Because if you say to me you want to be a comedian, and me saying don't do it is enough to stop you, right. you are not cut out for this, okay? So, meanwhile, I saw somebody ask Sean Young the same thing at, at, at the Gold Coast Film Festivals, and she said that she did the same thing. I saw Cindy Adams, Matt Damon said, people tell me they want to be an actor. I say, forget it. Forget it. You know, th there's no... No, you know, guarantee of anything. It's like, because if if that slows them down, they're not cut out for this. So I'm like, well, great minds, right? So Jimmy Fallon calls up the Stern Show, <laughs> 1998 or whatever. Wow. Hey, Howard. Hey, Jimmy. You've never been on the show, but I'm a big fan. Nice to talk to you. He's promoting Almost Famous, the movie. He goes, yeah, well, we almost met years ago. He goes, really? He says, yeah. Uh, I live outside of Albany and you decide you were going to run for governor and you and all the guys piled into a couple <laughs> buses and come, came up to Albany to, uh, to make a speech Can't or whatever. <laughs> and I figured I wanted to meet you guys. So I found out what hotel you were in and I went to the hotel bar and of course, Jackie was standing at the bar and went up to him and said, I, I want to be, be a comedian. And he told me to quit. <laughs> so, of course, I never heard the end of it. I never got to explain my rationale, which right. makes perfect, perfect right. sense. And this is before I'd read Matt Damon doing it. Right, and, right. you know, so funny. And then I would run into Fallon here and there. And he'd say, Jackie, that's my favorite story. You got to come on the show. And it really would have worked. Before the Tonight Show, when he had the Late Late Show, sure. it, you didn't have to be right, super Steve squeaky. McQueen. Yeah, I could have right. gone on, and, right. that, and that's a funny, funny story. Right, and it, and you know, and it makes me look like a jerk, not him. And but it's also, I mean, that's the whole thing. That's the that's the whole uh, truth behind it is, 
you know, if you can't hack it, right, if you all, think it, you can't hack it, you probably that's probably the first step in not doing it's it. It's tenacity, you know. So, Jack, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, where, where, just for anybody listening and watching, God willing, people listening and watching, what's your website? Which you, where's your find? Fee, I do, your book, I everything. do plug uh, it all. Messages like happy birthday, congratulations on your divorce. How you doing? I hope you're enjoying COVID. <laughs> uh, it's cameo.com slash Jackie Martling. And I do two minutes, three minutes, whatever, right. as dirty or as clean as you want, <laughs> do just about any message. And if you go to the website, cameo.com slash Jackie Martling, they have like six or eight of the ones I've done already. Mm. And they're all loaded with jokes. So if you don't want to give me a nickel, <laughs> just go to that website and listen to some of the old messages and you'll get a bunch of pretty off-color jokes. But it's really fun. And I've got like 65-star reviews. People seem to love them. Uh, my website is jokeland.com. You can go there and find out that I'm not working because nobody is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I still have my joke line, 516-922-WINE, which is 516-922-9463. Dirty jokes, 24 <laughs> hours a day, seven days a week since 1979. That's incredible. People say, wow, you must have got rich. It has cost me a fortune for 41 years. Wow. It's just like calling my home. And I have a book out, The Joke Man, Bow to Stern. If you go to JackieTheJokeMan.com, the Amazon page pops up. Jackie the Joke Man, one word, JackieTheJokeMan.com. It's hardcover, it's softcover, it's audible, and it's also on Kindle. And we made a documentary, and it's coming to a film festival or a theater near you. Should we ever dig our way out of this pit <laughs> that we have found ourselves in? It's called Joke Man. And it's funny. It's got uh, Penn Jillette and Willie Nelson and Stuttering John and <laughs> Billy West and my entire family and my beautiful girlfriend. And it's very interesting. And Willie Nelson is worth the price of it. <laughs> sure. And I'm done promoting myself. And well, uh, I love Russ. And I wish you guys <laughs> all the luck with this uh, fantastic podcast. Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate you giving me the time, man. It's the you know the time is valuable and. You're, you've given me uh, more than enough that... Uh, Once again, somebody invites you to come talk about themselves. You know, <laughs> it's like, what time can you get there? You know? <laughs> right. Thanks so much, Jack. I appreciate it. Yeah.